May God bless the reading of his word from Joshua 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. 
they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for these ancient stories that you have for us today, thousands of years later, how they, you have put them in this book to birth faith in us. And I pray that you would. I pray that you would this morning increase our faith, grow our faith, birth in us maybe for the first time true and genuine faith. Because how desperate our situation without you, like Jericho facing destruction, how desperate our situation. Speak to us this morning, I pray. Speak through me and use this fallibility. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't already, why don't you turn over to Joshua chapter 2. We'll be there. You know, above everything else, this book of Joshua is about God. It's about a God who makes promises and keeps those promises. He makes good on his promises. His promises come true. They become reality. As the title of this book indicates, this book is also about the man through whom God would bring about these promises, Joshua. God has promised Israel land, the land of the Canaanites, yet they have not come to that land. The the tribes of Israel have not yet settled except for the two and a half on on the other side of the Jordan River, the Trans-Jordan tribes. The whole book is about how Israel steps into the promised land, defeats their enemies, conquers conquests, victories, defeats, led by the man of Joshua as God accomplishes it for Israel. So that's what this book is, a story of promise and conquest. But then in chapter 2, right almost at the beginning of the book, it takes this real quick deviation. It sidetracks, changes focus. The focus goes from Joshua to Rahab insignificant Rahab, obscure, unknown, Gentile, unclean Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute. You know, if chapter 2 were entirely, were removed from the book of Joshua, if there was no chapter 2, the book wouldn't change meaning, purpose at all. But God has incredible treasures in chapter 2 for us. And he put it in here for us today. And although it isn't necessary for the main themes and purposes of the book of Joshua, it sure adds to it. So it's going to be exciting uh, to walk through this chapter today. 
It's not wasted space. It is profound in its meaning. So I wanna, we're going to walk through uh, this chapter, and I want to hopefully unfold the drama for you that's, un, that's happening. Because, you know, we read it, we kind of, the, the facts come so quickly that we lose the drama. So I want to open those facts up a little bit. I want to show you the drama, what's actually happening. And I want to show you as well that history induces radical, self-sacrificial faith. History does that. And very briefly, at the end, I want to talk about how God is for all people. God is for all people. So let's just let's pray one more time and, and ask, Father, that you would speak to us through these words. I ask you again, speak to us through these words. Let this not be lost to us. Let us not zone out right now or glaze over this, but let us be riveted by this story out of history and change our hearts as a result. Thank you for Rahab and what you have done through her and as a result of her and from her. We get the name Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. So, Joshua, taking command of Israel Finally, and all of the tribes are united under him, under his leadership. This nation of wanderers is now poised on the other side of the Jordan River to go into the promised land and begin their conquest. They're ready to take what God has given them. But Joshua commands this nation to take three days to get ready. Three days, gather provisions, and three days we're crossing. Get ready. And in the meantime, Joshua is sending out the spies. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out two spies, two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went out and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So let's talk about this house of Rahab. I think we would most quickly imagine this as a brothel, but I, this is unlikely, actually. It, it's more like this was a tavern or a, a hostel, something like a saloon from the Wild West. You know, these low lives would gather there, and the smoke and the music, and it's dark, and they would scheme and plot, and there are pleasures available to them. It would also be the kind of place where the government agents would want to keep a close eye what's going on here. So these two men walk into a bar. <laughs> look, at, uh, look at verse 2. It was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. All right, quick parentheses. Let's, this king of Jericho. The Canaanites... We're not a unified nation. This is the land of the Canaanites, but they're not a unified nation. They're made up of about 31 different city-states. Jericho is one of these 31 city-states. The Jebusites is another one. They're, they're in Jerusalem. So we've, ha- we've got these different city-states. The king of Jericho is just one of them. You know, conquering the promised land was not an easy task by any means, just speaking humanly. 
And it's a good thing that these city-states were not united. If this was one unified nation that Israel was going in to take, to take it would have been much more challenging for them. Of course, you know, they had God and the Canaanites didn't, so that's it's a different component. But city-states, this king of Jericho leads one of the city-states. All right, let's close that parenthesis. Back in Rahab's tavern, I imagine that some of the king's agents are sitting at a table. These guys walk in. They begin asking questions, questions that are a little bit interesting, a little bit suspicious, questions that somebody might be asking if they're from that huge group of people on the other side of the river. And so they're able to deduce, deduce these, these king's agents are able to deduce that these are Israelites. They're spies. They're coming to figure us out, find our weaknesses. And then they run off quickly to, the, to whoever's in charge to let them know we've got spies in Rahab's house. And that message very quickly rises to the highest ranks in Jericho. The king gets news. He has to act immediately before these spies get away. Verse 3, Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. So he, the king sends agents back to Rahab's house. And there's two assumptions that come with these agents as they, as they present themselves to Rahab. It's presumed, again, that these spies are from Israel. They're asking questions, questions that people who are familiar with the land wouldn't ask. And the king and all of Jericho and maybe all of Canaan are aware that there's a huge mass of people camped within, within eyeshot. And they're very aware of what their intentions are. And we'll come to that. So they're presumed Israelites. The second presumption from these agents is that the spies believe Rahab is innocent, that she doesn't know. They presume she doesn't know who these two guys are. She's just giving them lodging. She's not harboring spies. spies. But, of course, the reality is Rahab is perfectly aware of who these two men are. She knows. Verses 4 through 6. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in, with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Rahab knows these men are spies. She knows where they come from. She knows their agenda. She knows they are not friends of Jericho. She hides them. She lies for them. She faces grave consequences for them. This is treason. But her lies work. And these agents run off, not suspecting her. Or do they? Do they suspect Rahab? Verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
So that seemingly they bought Rahab's story and they head off towards the Jordan. Another clear sign that they know that these spies came from Israel because on the other side of the Jordan, as I'm saying, is this huge camp of Israelites. And the king's agents... They go, they, buy, they take the story, they give, they're giving Rahab the benefit of the doubt, but the fact that they shut the gate behind them, that the gate shuts behind them, indicates suspicion. If they go out there and they don't find any spies, they're coming back into the city to search. They shut the gates so nobody can leave. Everybody in that city now is staying in that city. And it's guarded. That city's gate is guarded no one can leave, and the spies are now, as a result, completely dependent on Rahab for their survival, for their escape. They need her at this point. So it seems like things have taken a turn for the worse. If the agents of the king, if they don't find them, they're coming back, they're searching the city, and they're going to start with Rahab's house. The risk to Rahab at this point is tremendous. It's everything. So quick thought about the event so far. The question may have popped up in your mind. Does this passage justify lying? Rahab just lied for a good cause. Does this justify lying for a good cause? Well, it's my personal opinion, merely, that if there's a morally justifiable reason, like saving somebody's life, a lie might be morally justifiable, might be okay. But the writer of Joshua is not concerned with this question at all. <laughs> he doesn't address it at all. What he's showing us, what the writer of Joshua is showing us, that these lies for Rahab are putting her in tremendous danger. She just lied to the king's agents, committing treason. She's a traitor. She will be killed if she's caught. That's the point of these lies, for us to see the risk to Rahab is everything. Rahab knows these spies represent Israel because the word of Israel, who they are, what they've been through, that's gone out. All of Canaan knows about them, what God has done for them. This news has spread far and wide, and so Rahab is wise enough to know that this God, Yahweh, is a living, real God. He's battling for Israel. He splits oceans in two. And this nation that he's battling for is 600,000 strong. Their military is 600,000 strong, so says the book of Numbers. So there's a God who's been splitting the oceans and, and feeding them with this dew stuff from the ground and defeating other enemies on the other side of the Jordan. And there's this 600,000 strong military. Rahab is a smart lady. She's going to throw her lot in with the living God. And then you come to, I love this, you come to one of the longest uninterrupted statements in a biblical narrative by a woman. This Canaanite prostitute. I'm, I'm not going to read all of it. Verses, but if we look at verses 8 through 11, you see that... I'll, I'll read this point right here. I know that the Lord has given you the land 
and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard about the Lord and how he dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shehan and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. You know, the Canaanites have their gods. They've got Baal, they've got Asherah, they've got Molech. None of these gods have done anything. None of these gods have been able to overcome the world's greatest superpower, Egypt. None of these gods have been able to divide an ocean. (laughs) None of these gods have done anything except take their children. We'll talk more about that on another day. But the God of Israel, Yahweh, He's doing things. They've heard about it. He's doing things. And so fear precedes the nation of Israel. Fear precedes those who come in the name of Yahweh. And this is just as God said it would be. God promised this. Deuteronomy 2.25 This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole of heaven, who shall hear the report of you, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So God's promise is true. It's happening right here. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. The Canaanites in Jericho are melting away in fear. And they know what has happened. Just on the other side of the river, Israel slaughters the Amorites. The two city-states of Shihan and Og that were there, they, they slaughtered them, devoted them to complete destruction. And in fact, that's what these Transjordan tribes are now occupying. That's where they're settling, in, these, in this wasteland now that they've destroyed. And so those in Jericho know that Israel is going to do to them what they just did to Shihan and Og. And God commanded it. Deuteronomy 20, 17 and 18. This is God's command. For the Israelites, as they go into the promised land, you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do, all, to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. Complete destruction. Ah, that's hard. Israel is to destroy everyone inhabiting the promised land. Man, woman, child, livestock. And that's really tough. Again, a lot of people struggle with that issue, and in the weeks to come, we're going to address that camp, that command, that really hard command. But these people in Jericho, they see what Israel intends to do to them. They know it. They see a God who's performing incredibly powerful acts. And they know that they face the same God coming against them. And Rahab sees this and she cries, Mercy! Save me from this coming destruction. She's putting her faith in Yahweh rather than in the gods of Canaan. And she's doing this. Listen, she's doing this because of history. 
because she understands this history of Israel. Forty years prior, Israel is freed from Egypt with miraculous signs. Freed under the greatest superpower on the planet. The sea divides before them. They cross on dry land. They come to a mountain and it smokes and thunders and they encounter the living God. The earth opens and destroys 3,000 who would worship a false god. She wasn't there. She didn't see this. Her people weren't there. But the story has gone out. This history of Israel. She hears it, and something in her causes her to believe it. This is real what's happening to this people in the wilderness. She believes in this story. It's real to her. History, the history of Israel is beginning to produce faith in Rahab. This is exactly why God is constantly reminding the Israelites, remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am. Remember how I broke your bonds in Egypt. and With a mighty hand, I brought you out. Deuteronomy 15.15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Remember. History. Israel's history and your history is about God. It's about what God has done, how he has revealed himself to you. Again and again, he says to his people, remember. And again and again, his people forget. Again and again, you and I forget. Our faithlessness, I think more often than not, is due to the fact that we've forgotten. We've forgotten the God of our salvation. Well, Ahab, or Rahab, Rahab knows the history of Israel. She believes it. It's a reality to her, and she bets her life on it. Literally. Bets her life on it. The next thing that she says is is an even greater proof to this. Verses 12 and 13. Rahab says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save, that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Save us from the coming destruction. She wants a, a sure sign that God, that Israel will deal kindly with her. And she gets the sign. She want, what she wants is an oath. Swear it. In the name of God, the supreme and ultimate God, swear it. She's helped the spies at the risk of her own life, and she says, now, reciprocate. I help me. I've acted kindly with you. Act kindly with me. And and what she's doing here is not merely, like, spare us when you come to destroy Jericho and then let us go on our own way. Let us, let us just get away from this. That's not what Rahab is asking for. Rahab is saying, save us from destruction 
by allowing us to become part of your people. Save us by bringing us into Israel. That's what she's really asking here. She's throwing in her lot with Israel, with Yahweh, entirely. She's leaving behind everything. She's a, she's a prostitute. She's a Canaanite. She's a woman. She's a, now a liar and a traitor. She knows these things about herself, and she knows that in the minds of the Israelites, she is less than desirable. She's got nothing to offer them. She's got nothing to stand on. They might be, these spies might be dependent on her in this moment for their survival. She hasn't helped them escape yet. She, she might, they might be dependent on her for survival, but Rahab knows that her situation is more dire than theirs. So she throws herself on their mercy, even though she's got no grounds for that. And they respond in verse 14. The men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So these two spies are speaking on behalf of Israel. And they say, you're in. You are in. If you continue to deal faithfully with us, we will deal faithfully with you. And you are in. You are an Israelite now. That's, this, that's the oath, the solemn oath that is given to Rahab. She has just become one of the people of God. I think it's interesting that her whole family, father, mother, brothers, sisters, slaves, servants, and really anybody who gets into her house, anybody is saved through her. This is a patriarchal society, and through this woman, her family is saved. It's remarkable, especially in a book like Joshua. And now that she has her oath from these spies, she helps the spies escape. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Then she let them down by rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. So she lived in this wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. So her house is in the wall, literally built into the wall, this tavern. And it's the only part of the wall that's going to be standing in a couple weeks or a week. She helps them in two ways. Rahab helps them by lowering them out of her window, one of the only ways out of, out of Jericho at this time. She lowers them down, but the other way that she helps them, and maybe even more profound way that she helps them, is to say, hide in the hills for three days. They're going to be searching for you. They're really good at what they do. Hide in the hills for three days. Don't try to go back yet. Three days, three days. Notice the three days, that's the same three days that Joshua told Israel to prepare So by the time the spies get back with this valuable information, the three days will have elapsed just as Israel's ready to go in. God is working on both sides of the Jordan right here. The the spies will arrive just in time to deliver the information. And so, 
Verse 17 and 21, the men say to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made, to, uh, made us to swear. Hang a cord, gather everybody in your house. If anybody goes out of the doors of your house, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is in your house, his blood shall be on our head. Don't tell anybody. We've given you an oath. You've sworn the oath. According to your words, she says, so be it. And they went out, they departed, and she ties her cord. This scarlet cord, symbol of Rahab's security. Hanging a scarlet cord out of a window like this, out of the wall, would be very visible to everybody, and it would have aroused suspicions of anybody out there. Like, you know, what's this cord doing? We should go with it. Men of the agents of the king are already suspicious. Spies in the land, things are going on that are unnatural. They would have seen this as suspicious, except that this probably wasn't an unusual thing to do for a house like Rahab's. Maybe it advertised something. So she hangs this for a different reason, to be saved. Anyone in her house would be saved. I love this. The spies are coming not just to gather information. The spies give information on how to be saved. They speak of a coming destruction. They offer a way of salvation. And they descend their rope and they head for the hills. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and they found nothing, just as Rahab said it would be. And she didn't tell anybody and they get away safe and they head to Joshua with their report. And, and look at this report. This is, this is awesome. They departed and went into... Uh, sorry. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now, Forty years ago when these twelve spies returned to Moses, bringing reports of the land. This is what they said from Numbers 13. They said, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Then all the congregation of Israel raised a loud cry, and all the people wept that night. We often talk about the spies' unfaithfulness and how they gave a poor report. But look, Israel is crying all night long. It's a national sin of distrusting God. And that's the report that comes back the first time they come to the promised land. Israel melts away in front of the promised land. Their fear and their distrust was their sin, and so they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness dying. This time when the spies return, the report is good. It is not just good, it is stunning. These Canaanites melt away in front of us. They are as nothing because of their fear. Again, a proof to them that God is indeed delivering the promised land to them. 
And here, in the middle of one of the most nationalistic books in the Bible, is the story of Rahab. It shows us that God's promises are not just promises to Israelites. They're not just promises for Israel. These are promises for anybody who puts their faith in God. In the God of Israel. Trust God and you are safe. Trust God and you are saved. Trust God and Israel's promises are your promises. And this is true as they go through the land. This is true for any Canaanite, any Hittite, any Jebusite, any Perizzite, any Ite. The promised land is for people who trust in God's promises. It is not because of your blood. Joshua is the great Israelite man who finds guidance and favor through faith in God's promises. Rahab is the Canaanite woman who finds favor in God by trusting in his promises. In fact, God's favor is so lavished on Rahab that she is given honors above even Joshua. Honors that reverberate directly into our salvation, into our hearts. Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. From this Gentile woman, this prostitute, would come the Savior of Israel, would come the Savior of the world. And then Rahab is listed in the great hall of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Joshua is not in Hebrews 11. Rahab is. Rahab laid down her home. She laid down her culture. She laid down her people to join the people of God. She was willing to lay down her life for these two men that she never met. She laid down everything because she, she knew the cost and she accepted it. This Canaanite woman is now remembered forever as a hero of our faith. Doesn't it delight God to work in the least likely of people? Aren't you glad that God chooses to work in the least likely of people? There are no Joshuas in this room. There might be more Rahabs. I don't mean that as an insult. Rahab came to this place of radical faith because she believes, she believed in the stories of God. She believed in the history of Israel. I want you to see that. Rahab's reason for faith is the history of Israel. And that is why we read this book. That is why we're spending time in Joshua. That's why we spent a year in Mark to look at this history, to spend time soaking in the actions of God, who He is, how He's acted for His people. These are stories of God. These these history lessons 
are how we come to know the living God, how we see who he is, what his personality is like, what his character is like through history. So think about when you're getting to know somebody and you sit down and you're having a conversation. If you really are getting to know somebody on a deep level, you talk about your history. You talk about what's going on in your life. You talk about your childhood, high school, college, whatever. You talk about these things in your past because that person isn't able to truly know you unless they know those things, right? It's part of who you are. It's your identity. And so that's why we do this. So you would know this living God. So you would know that the God who bursts the bonds of his people, who makes a way for them to cross through imminent danger, and he makes a way on dry land in the middle of an ocean, the God that feeds them and clothes them in the desert for 40 years is the same God who we worship today, who wants to break your bonds, who wants to make a way for you through the imminent dangers that surround us every day, who wants to feed you and provide for you. The same God He wants to feed you and provide for you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. It's the same God. I encourage you, I encourage you to read this Bible. I know I've said it so many times here, and I know it's like a Sunday school thing to say, but, but do you? <laughs> do you read it? Are you afraid of certain passages of your Bible because they seem boring and dusty? Go to every corner because in every corner of this Bible you will find the living God who is working now in your life to feed you and give you drink and care for you and protect you and bring you into salvation. Are you lazy with this Bible? It's life. Through which God is saying to you, God is saying to you through these words, see me, come to me, be with me. This is not a book intended to say to you, do this, don't do that, do it this way, or I'll do this to you. This is a book that's saying to you from God, see me, be with me, I love you. Look, I've cared for my people. I will care for you. In Acts 13, Paul is speaking to a synagogue at Antioch, Pisidia. He's recounting the story of Israel from when they were freed from Egypt to David, and then he goes to Jesus. And in all of that, in all of that history, Paul says, Brothers, to us has been sent this message of salvation. To us has been sent this message of, of salvation. And that message of salvation is bathed, is surrounded in history. 
And now we have more history. We have the stories of Jesus, that this man from Nazareth, with his hillbilly accent, lives a perfect life. He fulfills the law so you and I don't have to. He opens all of God's promises ever made to you and me, Gentiles from Utica. He's crucified for your sins. He's risen that you might have life. These are real things. These are not theological, philosophical ideas. These are real things. They really happen. These are actions in history that you and I can look at. And these things in history are meant to rivet our lives today. To you and us has come this message of salvation. To you and me has come this message of salvation. This history. It's not religion. It's reality. Will you trust in this God of history? You would be willing to lay down everything as Rahab was because you've heard some old stories? I hope so. These old stories are alive and working now in your hearts. And at this point, I'm going to very briefly do a little layup for next week. Set the stage. Next week is Missions Weekend. I'm going to be preaching about missions. And so Rahab, like I've said, she's a Canaanite. She had no lot with Israel, no place in their promises. She had nothing to do with Israel. She was their enemy, counted among their enemies. And yet God makes a way for her. God opens a place among his people for Rahab. And she has faith, and she is counted as righteous, and she is brought into the people of God, not because of her heritage, not because of her parents, because she had faith. You do not become one of God's people because of the blood that runs in your veins. You become one of God's people because of the blood that was spilled from his. Nationalism has no place in our faith. Our faith is all about the man who spilled himself for the nations. Let's pray. You are a tremendous God, and you have moved for the millennia and in our lives so powerfully. And it's so easy for us to forget. And I'm ashamed that I forget so often who you are and how you have worked. Would you drive your story deep into our hearts and help us to remember again and again the story of Israel, the stories of Jesus, the way that you have demonstrated your love so profoundly for us. And we had no lot with you, but you made a way, and we are eternally yours, eternally grateful. Not worthy, but you have made us worthy. Thank you, Father. Would you grow 
our faith as we read through these stories. Help us to walk every day, entering more and more, walking more and more in your story and not our own. I thank you for all of these beautiful, wonderful gifts and promises that you have opened to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our eternal glory. Amen.